would you, would somebody shut that door over there, Christian? Would you shut that door? Uh, I don't want anybody sneaking up on me. Um, okay. So the book of Amos. All right. How many is that? How many books till the New Testament? Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So by the time we get back to school, we'll be getting to the New Testament, all right? So for those of you that don't live your life by the school calendar, amen. All right. Anyway, Amos, turn to chapter 1, verse 1. There are some sheets on your tables. I have some extras if you need them. Um, Amos 1, 1. If you're watching online, the same notes are in the comments. Um, Nine chapters, 146 verses, 4,216 words. Amos 1.1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa. So Amos is a shepherd. He's in good company with a lot of people in your Bible. Joseph, David, right? (laughs) Jesus Christ is a shepherd as well. Uh, And he's a shepherd from Tekoa. So you say, why do I make a point of that? That city is 12 miles south of or outside of Jerusalem, and six miles from Bethlehem, which means Amos was from Judah, which is in the south, but he's prophesying in and against Israel, which is in the north. So he's from the south, he's preaching in the north and against the northern tribes. Um, He is a contemporary of Hosea and Jonah, if you're looking for where he is, uh, approximately 787 B.C. The timing, the timing of it, right? It says uh, in the rest of the verse, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeremoam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So, let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. Hold your place in Amos and turn to Zechariah. And look at chapter 14, verse 5. Bible says, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. Now he's talking about the day of the Lord in Zechariah 14. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee, watch it, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. So apparently, literally, it seems there was an earthquake in the days of Uzziah. That might be the literal historical application of what Amos is talking about. However, if you read verse chapter uh, verse 5 very carefully, he says, you're going to flee in the day of the Lord the same way you fled in the days of Uzziah. So the doctrinal, prophetic application of what Amos is talking about is really a picture of fleeing in the day of the Lord. Because remember Jesus said, if, if, you're, if you're on the housetops, don't go into your house and get your Birkenstocks, right? If you're on, you know, he's saying, don't go grab your fancy jewelry. Don't go get your nice uh, fur coat. You, fur coat, sorry if I offended somebody. But he's saying, if, when that day comes, when you see that, when you see the abomination that make it desolate that Daniel wrote about, that means the wrath is coming. He's going to pour that wrath down upon Jerusalem. And he says, flee to the mountains. And he says, you're going to flee the same way you fled in that earthquake in the days of Uzziah. So even though there was a literal historical event, the real application that Amos is getting at is the prophetic doctrinal. Isaiah 29, 6. Listen to this. 
Thou shalt be visited of the Lord with of hosts with thunder and with earthquake. Right, the day, bless you. The day of the Lord was going to have an earthquake in it. Revelation chapter 16, verse 18. There was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So at the end of the tribulation, when the Lord's getting ready to come down with His wrath, there is going to be an earthquake. It was going to be like an earthquake in the days of Uzziah, but even worse. Go back to Amos chapter 1. And you'll notice in Zechariah 14.5, actually Zechariah 14.1, he's talking about the day of the Lord. That's the context. Verse 5, he's talking about fleeing the same way you fled in the days of Uzziah. And then he says at the end of verse 5, the Lord's going to come and all his saints with him. Oh, when the saints come marching in, right? That's going to be you folks coming in with Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. Now go back to Amos chapter 1, look at verse 2. Just to clarify this context, that Amos is not getting caught up in the historical. Some of your Bible blockheads, you know, they want to get so hung up on the historical. You know why they want to get hung up on the historical? Number one, they don't have enough, they don't have any spirit of God guiding them in their Bible studies, so they can't make any prophetic or doctrinal application. And number two, they want to look smart. Like they know all this history that you don't know, so you'll be like, oh, you know, God's not as concerned with the historical here as with the prophetic and the doctrinal, because all scripture is given for doctrine. That's the first application. So he says right after the earthquake in verse 2, and he says, and he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, right? So this is immediately, while there may be a historical precedent in the days of Uzziah, the message is prophetic, Right? Jesus Christ sitting in Jerusalem, roaring? That's the second coming of Christ. That's the advent. Right? If you look across the page to the left, Joel 3.16 might be right on the left side of your page or somewhere nearby. It says, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to roar when he comes. That's all second coming. Now watch this also. This is a neat little thing. Amos 1.1 says, this is all happening in the days of Uzziah. Does anybody remember what Uzziah was afflicted with? Leprosy, right? He was the king afflicted with leprosy. Do you know, and this is just a little nugget to put in your, don't smoke a pipe, but just to put somewhere, uh, let it smoke in your brain. Leprosy is probably going to be the plague in the Great Tribulation. So it's interesting in this context of an earthquake, as in the days of Uzziah, the prophetic application, Uzziah was afflicted with leprosy. Did it, have ye not read about the people who take the mark in the Great Tribulation have sores and boils all over them? And have ye not read about a Gentile named Naaman afflicted with leprosy who needs to get baptized in the River Jordan to get his leprosy gone? Very interesting, said the good doctor, right? It looks like leprosy is going to be that plague again in the tribulation, and it looks like baptism might be a way that you're going to get rid of it. I'm just throwing ideas out there. You just think about them. When you figure it all out, let me know. All right, Uh, key idea, the restoration of the nation of Israel. Remember, Joel, the book we studied last week, is going to focus on the day of the Lord, Amos is going to focus on the restoration of Israel. You see the progression? Day of the Lord, him coming back, restoration of Israel is what's followed. Even the way the books are laid out, 
tell a story. I'm starting to see that with the Minor Prophets. Now let's go to Romans chapter 11, if we could just jump over there for a second. Now, you know why most people struggle with the Minor Prophets? Bible teachers. You know why most of us have no idea what Habakkuk is about? Or Haggai is about? Or, you know, Nahum is about? You know why? Because most people don't get the Minor Prophets because they reject the restoration of the nation of Israel. If you throw that doctrine out, you are shot when it comes to your Bible, especially the Minor Prophets. Because the minor prophets taking you from Hosea through the end of the Old Testament are really focusing almost exclusively on second coming, great tribulation, restoration of Israel. I mean, that's the big message of the minor prophets. And they're not minor because they're not important. They're minor because they're small. Our next book next week, God willing, is Obadiah, one chapter. I'm still going to take too long to talk about it, I'm sure. Right? Don't smirk, Madeline. I know. I, know. I confess. You're my, I confess. Right? She did an inward amen. I saw that. I saw that hand. Right? But look at Romans 11.25. Right? And I got a big mouth, I know. Trust me. Nobody knows how big my mouth is. My wife first, me second. Romans 11, verse 25. That's why I like to eat. Romans 11.25. Paul's talking about, you want a good study? Study all the things that Paul said you shouldn't be ignorant of. Amen. It's a good study. And one of them is this. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. A conceit is an idea. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall future be saved. Aren't you saved now? They're going to be saved in the future. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall future Take away their sins. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 talks about when he's going to come and take away Israel's sins. He's already taken away your sins, hasn't he? You're not waiting for him to take away your sins. He took them away already in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You got Jesus Christ tonight? That was weak. You got Jesus Christ tonight? Especially all you guys that are off from school. You should be shouting hallelujah and amen really loud. But there's a nation that's waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And when he comes, he's going to take away their sins. That's different. Now, listen. Chris and I joke about it. There is a philosophy going around or a teaching going around called replacement theology. And just for the educated people who might be watching just so I didn't upset their sensibilities. I wanted my talking point to be, replacement theology is trash. Right? That's a theological position. Trash means it's garbage. If I could have drawn a good poop emoji, I would have drawn it right there. Because it is Bible crap right? to think that the Lord is not restoring that nation. And to think, if you don't know what repra- replacement theology is, or you want the big name, super Supersessionism, right? Supersession. It goes up there with sovereignty. Supersessionism. Replacement theology. Covenant theology. Very popular among your Reformed brethren who think that the church replaced Israel. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says there are three, right? There are three groups. The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. And they're not the same. The Jew is not the church of God. The church of God is not the Jew. Now, we can appropriate some of the spiritual promises in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and get all good inspirational spiritual instruction, but I'm not waiting for a Messiah to come to take my sins away. He's already come to take my sins away. I'm not waiting for him to sit down in the throne in Jerusalem, for him to sit on the throne of my heart. He's already sitting on the throne of my heart if I give him that place. I'm not waiting to be circled around with enemies on the Sinai Peninsula to call out and finally see Jesus Christ show up and help me. Whenever I've got trouble around me, I can call upon God and he'll deliver me, right? So why we spiritually have the promises of Israel in the future, we have the spiritual promises to provoke them to jealousy. But they're going to get the whole kit and caboodle in the future. When that little remnant calls upon God, they're going to get the spiritual, the literal, the physical, the political. It's all going to come to them. And if you say all of those promises to Israel, if you make all those minor prophets spiritual in nature, you've just set a dynamite to your Bible. You'll never get it. You'll look at Obadiah and be like, what in the world is going on here? All right, so you got to remember that this philosophy, and if you're watching from home and I've stepped on your toes, repent. Because that stuff is garbage. I don't care what R.C. Sproul and Paul Washer and John Piper and all these big dogs say, that's not Bible. Wonderful devotional material, wonderful nuggets to glean away, nice stuff for your soul. But if you want to learn your Bible, and I think you're sitting here because you want to learn your Bible, and if you didn't sign off by now, you want to learn your Bible. And I'm coming on strong because I have a thing and an axe to grind with the big words and the fair speeches that deceive the hearts of the simple. It bothers me that people are kept in bondage by these modern day Pharisees and their kingdom ministries where people just ogle them and and I'm not jealous I'm happy to be in a library crammed with a bunch of teachers boxes all around me I got no problem with that right but I want you to know that that little nation is gonna is gonna be restored and that little nation is a key to your whole bible And that little nation is really what most of the Bible is about. You're not the biggest deal in the Bible. What God is doing with that nation is a much bigger deal than what he's doing with you. Amen, Amen, brother Pat. (laughs) I know we're just a bunch of dogs that got some crumbs off the table. And I'm happy. Those are great crumbs. But uh, praise the Lord for that. All right. Off the soapbox. All right. Key word, punishment. Amos had a very stern message for the nation. He mentions punishment eight times in that little book. Key message, national sin means national punishment. We'll get to that at the end, and then I'll definitely get some strikes. All right, let's go to Amos chapter 7. I remember to put it on the sheet, Josh. Jesus Christ is pictured as the lowly prophet. You know, Amos was probably our kind of guy. He was probably our crowd, you know. He was just a, Amos 7, yeah, he was just a working man. You know, uh, if you look at Amos 7.14, it says, Amos is responding to his skeptics, and it says, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. (laughs) So 
like Jesus Christ is pictured as a lowly prophet who was despised among men, Amos was just a lowly prophet. He was a working man. He was a shepherd, right? Jesus Christ was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. That was Amos, right? Amos was not a courtier like Isaiah. Isaiah seemed to have access to the king's court. That wasn't Amos. He wasn't a priest like Jeremiah or Ezekiel. He was just a working man. Calluses on his hands, kind of like your savior, a carpenter's son, right? That's Amos, right? And you see the breakdown of the book. You could go through that on your own time. But let's get into some pictures, all right? Some pictures. So let's, let's start with Amos. Let's stay right here in chapter 7. I just got two pictures and then some several big ideas. So we'll spend more time on the big ideas. But the first picture is a picture of Amos as the model worker for God. That's Amos, the model worker for God. Let me show you some things. I got seven or eight things here about Amos. Number one, please note his humility. We just read it in 14. He doesn't hide his past. He doesn't hide his birth. He doesn't hide his occupation. He's like, I'm not... I got no pedigree. I, I just was a guy gathering sycamore fruit and herding cattle or whatever he herded. And so it, there's a humility there that's a good for us to remember. If we're going to serve God, who are any of us? Amen. We're just a bunch of knuckleheads Amen. that God entrusted with the gospel. I mean, he didn't give it to angels. He should have, probably, if we were doing this stuff. He didn't give it to the cherubim. He didn't give it to, to, to you know, he gave it to a bunch of lowly sinners. He said, I'm going to entrust you with the gospel, and you go publish that to the world, Right? He was hardworking. Look at verse 15. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. You see that? God used the man who was faithful with what he'd been given. He didn't sit around waiting for a call. He didn't sit around waiting for you know, somebody to send him out and recognize his gifts. He was doing, he was working. He was hauling that cattle, shepherding that cattle around, and God saw a man that was faithful with what he had to do. He said, I'm going to call them as I followed the flock. That would preach. I like to take that message to some Bible colleges and preach that to some, you know, guys who are wet behind the ears. As I followed the flock, God called, the, I, God called me. Remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy? He said, think about this now. Christ Jesus our Lord counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. What are you talking about, Paul? You, you're talking about not even your saved life yet. But Paul was faithful what he thought was right. See that God saw this man who, was, who said, I'm blameless touching the law. He said, here's a guy who doesn't even know totally what he's doing, but he does it with all his heart. I could save that man and use that man to turn the world upside down. That's what he did. What did Jesus say in the book of Luke? He said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Can I say this to everybody here, especially those with a heart to serve? If you're not faithful setting up the chairs, you're not ready to preach to the people that sit in those chairs. You've got to be as faithful with the stuff nobody's watching and nobody thinks important as it is to all the big stuff that people think are important. See, we all think this is important because I'm up here and everybody's looking at what I'm saying. You guys praying... You guys setting up the chairs. You guys ministering day to day to your family. That's just as equal. The Bible says we part alike, and that's not a line I'm giving you to make you feel good and motivate you. That's the real thing. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. If you, and I believed that before I had an office. 
If you would wake up every day and say, I'm a pastor to my home and I'm a missionary to my world, and you count that and take that seriously every day when nobody's watching and nobody's assigning and nobody's noting and nobody's giving you a pat on the back, guess what? God will bless you. And even if you never get an office and even if nobody recognizes, who cares? God's the one keeping the accounts. As you follow the flock, God will call you and God will use you. But we've got a lot of people out there that want to have their gifts recognized. They want God to see what they're all about. They want the brethren to see what they're all about. You know what? I just gave you a name tag that said Ichabod because the glory is departed from you. Amen. Brother, be faithful. It's just required in stewards to be found faithful. The third thing about Amos I see is that he was wise. As I read through the book, he never preached over people's heads. He always used analogies and imagery that was familiar to them. Now, I am an English teacher. And sometimes when I think of what I'm writing down in notes, I, think of, I could think of big words, but I'm going to let you in on something. I intentionally go against that. Because I want to use big words. I want to use just like plain language that we can all get, right? I mean, I'm, not say, I'm not saying I'm talking down to you, but like sometimes you could use a big word like supersessionism you know, or, or eschatology, which isn't a bad word, or you know, exegesis versus eisegesis. I'm not even sure what those words mean. But I, I hear people talk about it, or homiletics and hermeneutics. I heard those words somewhere, but you know what? I like to use words like homiletics. Oh, here's how you put a message together. <laughs> Hermeneutics, the principles of Bible study. We can all get that, you know. Eschatology, the study of future events. I'd rather just use the simple words that we could all get than try to have the pharisaical words. And, and, and Amos was like that. That's a good lesson for us. Talk like a normal human being. Don't talk like you're religious. I, I hate that talk. My wife, I've said, has a free pass, and we've got the weapons now to do it, that if I ever start sounding like those professors, just shoot me and make me into glue because I'll be at least useful for something, right? Like a dead, like an old horse. You know what else? He was cunning. That's another thing about our, our good man, Amos. He was cunning. He caught the attention of his people by preaching against their enemies first and then coming at them. There's some wisdom in that, you know? He didn't come right at them and say, you know, prepare to meet thy God. No, he starts chapter 1 and talks about the Edomites and the Moabites and Damascus and Syria, how God's going to get them. And then he says, God's also going to smack you a little bit if you don't repent. There's some wisdom in that. Talk about, you know, you got some people that are conservative. Talk about all the craziness that's going on and how bad it is. And then you, you use that to segue into them and their relationship with God. You know, you have a little cunning. Paul would tell the Corinthians, being crafty, I caught you with guile. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, though I don't recommend skinning cats. I don't condone that. That is not, I don't approve that message. All right, uh, look at 716. You know what else it was about Amos? He was faithful. He did not tickle anyone's ears. He told God's truth, man. Look at 716. Watch this. Now therefore, there, now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. Gee, thanks, Amos. (laughs) You have any bad news? (laughs) I mean, he just leveled them. He just told them straight. 
He says, you don't want me to preach? Here's what's going to happen. Your wife's going to be ravished. Your kid's are going to be destroyed. Your land's going to be wrecked. <laughs> he didn't seem like he tickled their ears at all. How about another one? Uh, look at v- verse 10. Amos was steadfast. He refused to be s- turned aside from the work God gave him. See verse 10? Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel, now that's interesting because that's a fake system, right? There were not supposed to be any priests in Bethel. The priest was supposed to be in Jerusalem, but the northern kingdom had set up that false worship at Bethel and Samaria, right? And uh, then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus saith Amos, for thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. So he didn't turn aside. I mean, right after that, he lets him have it. So he's not deterred. That's a good message for all of us. And the last thing I want to say is he had some success. You see the end of verse 10? The land is not able to bear all his words. That little shepherd, that little herdman, he was making an impact. That's why they hated him. <laughs> That's why they wanted to get rid of him. You know, you think, you know, those are the guys that stand on the corner, those are the guys that go out tracting, those of us that go to the fairs and stuff like that. We think we're not making an impact. But how many times, right, Brian, we've bumped into somebody that says, oh, you're the church on the corner of 34 and Lloyd? You think they're not noticing. They're noticing. Aberdeen is not able to stand all your words. That's why they like you to just move on. Go somewhere else. Get the bleep out of here, you know, because they'd like to just have you move on because you make more of an impact than you realize. That lady we met that watches every week. She never showed up yet, right? Yes, but she watches every week. I appreciate your support. Um, so that's a good picture of a model worker. Those are some good things to remember if you're going to serve God. Now, here's another picture. Go to Amos 8. Picture number two. A picture of Israel in her apostasy. A picture of Israel away from God. All right? Amos 8, verse 1. You there? Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. There's the picture. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. I like him already, just plain. It's like Zechariah, right? What do you see up there? He showed me a flying roll. What is it, a flying roll? What do you think it is? It's a flying roll. God, you know it is. I don't know. I don't know what kind of roll it is. Sesame, poppy, you know. There's butter on it, but anyway, a flying roll. And he said, Amos, blah, blah, blah. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Here's the picture. God's people are being compared to fruit that's overripe and set aside. See, that spring harvest, that fruit came in, and now it's been, it's, it's been sat around too long, and it's overripe. It's, it's rotting away. God wants no part of it. It's summer fruit, right? Now go to Micah chapter 7, right? Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. I'm going to show you this picture here of the summer fruit is consistent in your Bible. Zechariah 7.1 Woe is me! Micah 7.1 Woe is me! 
for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits. As the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster of the, of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out, upon the, out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Right? Amos was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. But Israel had no fruit the Lord desired. It's like fruit. That, I wanted the first ripe fruit, but this summer fruit I don't want. Go to Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's talk about that summer. Jeremiah 8. Jeremiah 8, look at verse 13. Speaking to his people. I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, pictures of Israel. And the leaf shall fade, and the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter into the defense cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God hath put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. This summer, with the fruits getting set aside, pictures, pictures the time of Jacob's trouble. It pictures the tribulation. And and the way to really get it is to think about the feasts. The seven feasts. Alright, watch it now. You have Passover and uh, unleavened bread, I'm abbreviating, and first fruits. Right? That's all happening, right? Um, Then you got a break. And you got a break there, and then you got Pentecost, right? And then you got another long break. And then you got trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, right? So think about this. You got Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Then you got a break. This, so you can think of this as Genesis to Second Chronicles. As your old, then you got a break, right? 400 silent years. Then you got Pentecost, right? First coming. The Holy Spirit will be given. Then you got a long break. Right? One month, two months, three months. Then you got fourth to six months here. You know what this was in Israel's calendar? This was summer. You know what this pictures prophetically for you and me? Church age. First coming, church age, trumpets. Atonement Tabernacles, second coming. So that summer, I know you can't read that really good, and I write like chicken on drugs. But anyway, that summer, that break, that 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 those months there, right? Um, might have those months there. That summer, didn't Jesus say, "Say ye not four months, and then cometh the harvest," because it's coming after those after those months after the summer. Right? Um, so that summer represents the tribulation. It represents Israel kind of being set aside and going through some terrible time there. It represents a lot of things. It represents the church age, and then it represents in the future, it represents God 
having set them aside, then he's going to come back in, he's going to blow a trumpet, he's going to regather them, he's going to make them mourn, and then he's going to show up and tabernacle with them. So, summer is a big, 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 big book. So, uh, yeah, if you didn't get that, ask somebody else, right? Uh, So let's get into some of our big ideas. Amos 3, right? Amos 3, 3. I know I'm kind of, I'm listening over what I just said. I kind of like made a double application here. Like it, it pictures now the summer pictures the church age, but it also looks ahead to when they're going to feel that heat of the trouble and tribulation. And out of that summer, they will be brought into their kingdom. So just if I clarify that a little bit. So some big ideas. I got a bunch. So I'm going to hurry here. Amos 3.3. This is a little bit of preaching here now. Uh, first big idea in the book of Amos. Ready? It's a profound one here. It's deep. You can't walk with someone who doesn't agree with you. Amen. Deep. Thank you, Brian. All right. I'll pay you later. Amos 3.3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's pretty easy, right? You can't walk with someone who doesn't agree with you. In the New Testament, Paul would ask the Corinthians a question. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. So when we talk about a walk, we're talking about fellowship. And if you look at verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 3, he says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Think about God saying that to His people. He goes, I didn't do that to the Egyptians. I didn't rescue the Moabites. I didn't have mercy on the people from Damascus. I didn't save the Syrians like I saved you, but I chose you as a family. I called you out to be my people, and you guys have ignored me and scorned me and turned away from me. And he says, therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You know what God is saying doctrinally? He's saying, I'm a holy God. I can't fellowship with you, unholy nation anymore. I got to set you aside like a basket of summer fruit. Because I can't walk with you, Israel. You're my people. I've called you out. You're my nation. You're my elect. But I got no fellowship with you now, Israel. Because I can't walk with you because we're not agreeing on a lot of stuff. You see, God can be your father like God is the father of a nation. God could be your father spiritually as a child of God. But God's not fellowshipping with you, hello, if you're not walking with Him and agreeing with Him on some big things. Amen. Right? Go to Ephesians 5. Let's go to the New Testament where, the, where Paul applies this to us. Ephesians 5. No charge. It's going to get, I'm warming up. Ephesians 5, verse 11. This could not be any plainer. This could not be any more Pauline. This could not be any more doctrinal. This could not be any more body of Christ-ish. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is the great instruction about the body of Christ and the mysteries in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and the practical walk of chapters 4, 5, and 6. And in that middle of chapters 4, 5, and 6, where he's telling the body of Christ how they should walk with God and fellowship with God and live out those heavenly truths on earth, he says, verse 11, "...and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them." 
He's saying, hey, a child of light should not fellowship with darkness. Light and dark don't go together. Like oil and water don't mix. Oh, we try to make a mix. We'll spin that centrifuge and try to, Ooh, oil and water can mix this. Let me move this around fast enough. But you just let it settle for a few seconds and you'll see it separate. And you and I will try to mix with the world and mix with the world and just keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving so the distinctions don't come clear. But guess what? You just step back for a second. God says, no, you're not like them anymore. Amen. You're light, they're dark. You're a child of the day, they're children of the night. They're asleep. You're supposed to be awake. First John chapter 1. How about there? First John chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> this then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, doesn't mean you're saved or lost, but if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. See that? If you want fellowship with Jesus Christ, you have to walk in the light with him. You have to agree with him. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But when you, have, when you mess up, Lord, I messed up. That's wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone there. Stop insisting that you're right. And that God just smiles on your dirty little life. And you know, no, he doesn't. He, is, he doesn't like that you're doing that. He loves you. He wants you to repent. But he doesn't like that you're in the pig pen. He says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You say, who wrote that? Paul. Amen. To the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. Separation is an ugly word. Sanctification is an ugly word now. Holiness is an ugly word, but it's Bible. You can be saved, but if you want fellowship, if you want to walk with God, if you want communion with God, you've got to agree with Him on some things. You know what you've got to agree with Him on? Hey, God, you're right, and I'm wrong about everything. <laughs> I think Paul starts his treatise that way, right? Let God be true and every man a liar. That's a good supposition. That's a big word. That's a good truth to adopt, right? Accept that first premise. God, you're right. And where I cross you, I'm wrong. Where the Catholic priest crosses you, he's wrong. Where the rabbi crosses you, he's wrong. Where the shaman crosses you, he's wrong. Where grandma crosses him, crosses you, she's wrong. Where I cross you, I'm wrong. Where the Pope crosses you, he's wrong. Where you cross him, you're wrong. Let God be true. Amen. He is the truth. Amen. If you can agree with that, if you can agree with God, you can walk with Him. Thank you, Lord. See, God, God will keep cleaning you up. He'll wash you with the sanctification of the washing of the water by the Word. But what He can't stand is that proud look. Amen. I think Josh a few months ago preached about that stuff, right? You, you, those things God hates. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You just want, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm good. No, you're not. You're just sinning against God every day in your own pride. What communion hath light with darkness? 
This principle goes for all kinds of relationships. I'm going to step on all the young people's toes right now and just make sure I get this in. Especially the romantic ones. I know you think it'll work out. But if they're not saved, just cross them off the list. They may be sweet. They may be kind. They may be nice. And I'll go one step further. They better just not be saved. They better be saved. They better have a respect for the Bible. They might not have to know all the Bible. They might have to be a Bible expert. But when you show them things, they better be willing to listen. Because if you're going to fight them now, you're going to be beat later. If you've got to compromise now to kind of get along, you're going to be eating crow later and you're going to be kicking bricks later because you've got to get on the same page now. Doesn't mean you've got to dot every I and cross every T, but at least, you know what? When God says something, he's right. Honey, yeah, God's right. And God will be the final authority. And if you can't agree with that now with the person you're interested in, just pray for them and let them, you know, get some stuff settled because you are smoking crack if you think it's going to get better. You're crazy, you're nuts, you're not going to be the exception, you're going to prove the rule that you shouldn't yoke up with somebody that's not in agreement with God. Did I make that plain enough? If you're single and you're looking for a spouse, don't even think about it if that person is not saved and willing to follow God. Because there's a lot of saved people that don't respect the Bible, don't think they need to go to church, don't really care what the Bible says, and that's just as much hell on wheels as if they were lost. Okay, it's probably worse because they think they know better. That's probably true, right? I maybe say, maybe that person gets saved and get on board, but I know all the mental gymnastics happen. Well, then they'll get saved, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and all the chess games, and all the checkers, and all the mental gymnastics you have to do to try to, if you got to fugazi it now, and try to make it work now, if you got to do all that stuff now, it's going to be worse later. Amen. It's just going to be a lot worse later, all right? So make sure they're on the same page now, all right? You're welcome. Because if you get in a yoke with someone and can't agree which way to go, you know what's going to happen? You're not going anywhere. Amen. It is going to be spinning and you're in a fighting the whole time. So, a lot, and you know, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians don't want to walk with God because they don't want to agree with God. I'd rather not walk with God because then he'll chat my hide and some of his truth's going to rub me the wrong way. Man, you know what? If God's word, you know what? If God tells you you're dressing wrong, why would you get mad at that and get mad at the preacher? Just dress right. If God is telling you like you're talking wrong or you're acting wrong or you're thinking wrong, why would you get mad at the preacher or get mad at the Bible? Just make it right with God. Isn't it lunacy? It's lunacy to run out of church and close the Bible and then you're going to hide from the God of the universe. The Bible says nothing's hid from Him. I'm going to run away from church and run away from Christians and run away from the Bible because I don't like what they said over there. I don't like that Bible preaching. I don't like he's too mean-spirited. You're on the crack pipe too. You're smoking crack. Because God is like, it would make more sense to just say, okay, God, you know, you don't want me to listen to that music? I'll stop listening to that music. Amen. You don't want me to do that? I won't do that. Right? That makes sense to me. I haven't always done that, but I've really known that was the right thing to do. Right? right? That makes sense to anybody else but me here. Because if you're just going to sit there and pretend that, you know, I'm just going to run away from God, where are you going to run? Have you read Psalm 139? If I take the wings of the eagle and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there 
If I make my bed in hell, if I, you know, you know climb up that, he's everywhere. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Right? And one day, you'll be face to face with him. He's going to say, hey, boy, come over here. Remember the thing I told you about that music? You didn't want change? You thought you, thought you were going to get away from me? Here I am. <laughs> you might as well just make it right. Instead of trying to cover it up, you cover your sins, you'll never prosper. You confess and forsake them, you'll have mercy. Man, Lord's just looking at you to settle with him. Just, God's like this. Can you just be straight with me? This is wrong. This is, the wages of sin is death. This is going to kill you. This is going to kill. If you're saved, it's going to kill your family, kill your health, kill your relationships, kill your joy. Just, just get it. Just get it right. Get with me. And if you're lost here today, he's like, look at that sin. That sin's going to drag you to hell. You're going to burn forever. I don't want you to go there. Let's just make it right. God's just looking for you to settle it with him. Just settle it. God's reasonable. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Amos 4.4. 4. That took a lot longer than I thought it was. <laughs> Amos 4.4. 4. Let me hurry through some of these other ones. Amos 4.4. 4. I think I know why people don't read the Minor Prophets. Amos 4.4. 4. But you know what? And it, it's a scary place to be. You know, when Israel was out of fellowship with God, they could not handle straight Hard preaching. Speak, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. See that? If you're walking with God, you could be wrong, but if you at least know God is right, the preacher, the the discipler can hit you right between the eyes. You know what? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Those stripes, by those stripes, we could be healed. <laughs> you know, that, that's good for you, you know? Amen. To get a good whipping sometimes from the Bible, from the Holy Spirit, from the book. You know, but uh, when, when you find the Bible or the preacher is getting on your nerves and it's not just the fact that I'm annoying, that could be it, very likely. But if it's the Bible that's getting on your nerves, it's the preaching that's getting on your nerves, you better check yourself. You better make sure you're not out of fellowship with God because when you're out of fellowship with God, you can't take it. How can two people sit in the same message and one person walks out and goes, man, that was good. The other person just says, oh, so mean-spirited. <laughs> same message, same loud mouth, same Bible verses, different grounds. Amen. Better check your heart. Amos 4.4, you know what God says? God's very sarcastic in the book of Amos. Come to Bethel and transgress. How about that for your next gospel track? God's saying, come here and sin. Talk about rightly dividing, putting a verse in context. You know why he says that to them? He says that to them. He's being sarcastic with them because he sees their hypocrisy. He knows they're not doing right. He knows they're not walking with him. And he knows they're not going to change. So he says, come over here and just sing your little hearts out. Just go for it because you're not going to change. What does the Lord see in you? And why don't you want to walk more closely with him? God sees. All right, Amos 3.7. Here's my second big idea. Amos 3.7. Second big idea. God speaks through His prophets. Amen. I know that sounds self-serving, but let's look at it. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. You know, God does not speak through politicians. I think you knew that. Right? The... The bad joke is, how do you know a politician's lying? His lips are moving. Right? That's usually it. All of them, red and blue, 
donkeys and elephants. All right? Um, but anyway, he doesn't speak through the pundits. Right? I know we're hooked on, you know, our Tucker on Twitter now. You know, we like Tucker on Twitter. And, you know, we like, uh, you know, we watch this one or that one. We watch, you know, I don't know what station you watch. I don't know if you're watching Tucker on Twitter or whatever it is. But you know what? That's not where the truth resides. They may say some things that, re- that align with truth and might, you know, tickle your fancy a little bit. But the truth is supposed to be coming from the pulpits and the preachers of the day. Like in the Old Testament, the prophets were given the truth. We're supposed to be prophesying, giving the truth of God's word more faithfully. Psalm 25, and we could all be that preacher, and we could all be that prophet. We don't have to have a pulpit to do it the way you talk to your friends, the way you witness to your neighbors. You're sharing God's truth. You are the repository of truth. The Bible says in Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. Go to Amos chapter 5, verse 10. Now, you know why? You know why a lot of preachers don't want to tell the truth? Very simple. It's not popular. Right? Guys went out to 34 and Lloyd. Brian told me yesterday it was kind of hard ground, right? Not very receptive, you know? Not popular. Not always. Sometimes you get a lot of thumbs up and a lot of honks. Sometimes you get a lot of Bronx cheers. And a lot of like, get the out of here. You know, you get a lot of that. You know, and you get all that crazy stuff. You know what? It's not popular to tell the truth. Amos wasn't popular. Look at Amos 5.10. Look what Amos says in Amos 5.10. Great verse. This was a Sutek verse. Um, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. I, we don't go around picking fights. I don't want people to yell at me. I don't have some kind of sadistic streak where I enjoy the... I'm not masochistic where I want people to like just you know, yell at me and beat me up and score me. Oh, I just enjoy the berating so much. I just love getting mocked. I love my family rolling their eyes at me. I love people flinging stuff at me. I love people telling me, shut up and honking their heart. No, nobody likes that. We all want to be accepted. But the world is dead set against God. If they accepted what you were saying... With this glowing endorsement, I don't mean individual souls, but if the whole world just said, that's just so wonderful what you're coming out here to tell us, I'd be a little worried about my message. Because the Bible says the truth is going to run contrary to the world that's really lying in wickedness. So when, you know, we're going to tell the truth, there's going to be friction. We don't want the friction. We want them to accept it. But when there is friction, it shouldn't scare us or shock us. But it makes a lot of preachers dip the colors, change the message, want to, you know, just say it nicer. Don't say Jesus Christ, just talk about God. You know, don't talk about the blood, talk about hope. Don't talk about sin, talk about faults and mistakes. Don't talk about hell, just talk about, you know, separation from God. Right? See, it can be real subtle and, 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 and different. Nobody's listening to God's prophets anymore. That's why we're in a library with boxes all around us, right? But if we change the message, we could pack it out. If, I, if you're going to just tell you about being healthy, wealthy, and wise, just smile, get a little accent. Just, you know, say, God has something special for you. I could get, I'd probably get more people in here. I, I want to, my wife would be getting the shotgun, but I want to do that. We would all yeah, yeah, but I have so many more people. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but you know what the Bible said to you know Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy four three, he said, "For the time has come, the time will come, 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, they want to hear something. I want some Jesus sprinkles for my Sunday. I want to get a little religious buzz so I can put my hands up like this and just go back and forth with the dark lights. And then the guy comes up out of the stage and he just comes in there, three-piece suit, and smiles and says, Hello, friends. Right? Right? That's what's going to happen. That's what the world wants. That's what Christians want. Because that appeals to their lusts. Makes them feel good. Because they want their best life now. They want that purpose to drive them. Right? They want to feel fulfilled. You know, they want to realize all they can be. You know, they want that. That appeals to their lusts. You know what doesn't appeal to their lusts? Repent. You know what bothers them? You're wicked. You know what? You know chaps there hide? Sin is sin. Bothers them. Look at Amos 8.11. You know what this is bread? Amos 8.11. You know what this breeds? Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. No one's listening to God's words anymore because no one's speaking them anymore. Right? I mean, the King James Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen. And even the people that put the word church on their sign are not declaring the word of God anymore. Right? I will step on your toes, and I mean this in love. The message isn't worth the paper it would take to roll a doobie. Right? Um, some of these other so-called Bible versions have so many mistakes, so many compromises, that God couldn't be within 10,000 miles of them. So, even in the little sect of Christianity, we're like the little subsect of the subsect of the subsect of the subsect who's trying to declare the King James Bible rightly divided. How many of us are there? Not a lot. And there's a famine in the land. I'm glad you're hungry. Because people are big on food that fattens their belly, but they're not too big on food that would feed their soul. Oh, we got restaurants everywhere, right? Restaurants here, restaurants there. There's re- here restaurant everywhere, restaurant. Oh, right. There's restaurants everywhere. Some of you are going to go McDonald's after this because I sang that song. Right, but there's restaurants everywhere. But how many Bible-preaching, King James, rightly divided churches are there in our county, in our state? I could probably count them on one hand. I know of a handful. And we came here because we sat down with a map years ago and said, there's nothing over there. And that's why we came here, because there's nothing over here in central Jersey in this area. So we came here to plant. I know there's other churches, and I'm not hating on them, but a King James Bible preaching, Bible teaching, rightly divided church, that's what we're trying to do. That's another big idea. All right, last two are quick. Third big idea, Amos 9. The book ends, and that's not patting us on the back. We're dingbats, probably do 90% of the stuff wrong. But we're trying. We're trying just to get the word out as best we can. Amos 9. I mean, we came from a church in Staten Island. It's been there for 40, 45, 47 years. They still meet in the same warehouse. They never got bigger or smaller. They're still there. 
And they go all around the world. They give out tracts everywhere. They preach everywhere. They celebrate. They, they declare the word of God everywhere. They've been doing it all of, on trains, on, on everywhere. I mean, they're not, they're an active, we were an active bunch of people. And they're still in the same place. They should be 10,000 people by now by human metrics. But they're just still in the same little warehouse because there's a famine in the land. They don't want it. The time has come that they don't endure sound doctrine. Amos 9.11. You know, the Bible, the book ends. Here's the third big idea. The third big idea is the great theme of the book of Amos. The restoration of Israel. The book ends with the restoration of Israel. Look at it. 9.11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen, close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of all. Please note, number one, the restoration. In that day. What day are we talking about, gang? A second coming in that day. Verse 12. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth it. Please notice in verse 11 we have the restoration of Israel. In verse 12 we have the possession of Israel. Israel's going to take back what the enemy has stolen that they've divided up with their little accords that they make and their little treaties that they make. You know how big that land is that Israel's got promised to them? It's from the Nile all the way over to Ur of the Chaldees over there and all the way up to Mount Ararat. That huge triangle is all theirs. And there's Edomites in there and Moabites in there and Syrians in there. And they have different names today, but there's modern-day Edomites in there and they're occupying that land. And God says, one day you're going to possess it all. It's all going to be yours again. 13. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Please note in verse 14, and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Please notice in this verse here, these verses, the prosperity of Israel. After Jesus Christ comes back and destroys some bad stuff, they start to prosper. That's a whole message in itself, but we'll move on. In verse 15, great verse, last verse of Amos, and I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Please notice finally the permanence. No more scattering. No more captivity. No more exile. No more wars. No more threats. It's theirs forever. They're going to inherit the earth right there. That's the last idea. They're there now. I mean, that's the last part of the book, but here's my last idea for the evening. Go to Amos chapter 2. All right. I'm going to try to talk as fast as I can so YouTube can't, you know, check me on this one. This might give me the, the strikes. National sin brings national punishment. That's the last idea. National sin brings national punishment. And Amos 2, 3 to 6. That's where I want. Uh, and, I will cut, yeah. and I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof. I will slay the all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments 
and their lies caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. It didn't matter that Israel was God's chosen nation. You see that? They had to be holy. It didn't matter that God had adopted them and brought them out of that you know, polygamous world and had you know, called them to follow Him. They had to be holy. They had to be righteous. They had to try to love Him and honor Him and obey His word. And in the time of Christ, the leaders of Israel thought they didn't need to live holy. They thought, we're going to be the head and not the tail. I mean, we're the Jewish people. you got a lot of Jewish people that walk around with that attitude today. Well, we're the elect people. We're the chosen nation. We're the seed of Abraham. That's what they told Jesus, right? We be not born of fornication. But what did Jesus tell that little nation? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You see, they had to get righteous. You had to be righteous to enter God's kingdom. God didn't want a bunch of unrighteous knuckleheads populating His kingdom. So He told the nation, seek the righteousness first, the spiritual first, the righteous first, and then I'll give you everything, Israel. But they didn't want to be righteous. They didn't want to repent. They didn't want to obey. They didn't want to bow the knee, bow the heart to Jesus Christ and God's standard of righteousness. You know what happened? God set them aside. You know what the message Jesus, you know what the first words Jesus Christ said to Israel were, right? His public ministry? Repent. You know what John the Baptist said? Repent. Repent. Right? You're wrong. You're not doing right. Yes, all the promises are yours, but you'll lose them. Because they're not, you've got to repent and be righteous. Now, go to Proverbs chapter 14. That's God talking to His nation. What a pedigree that nation had. That was the seed of Abraham. Those were the people of Moses. Those were the, that had the throne of David. Those were the ones that had seen Solomon. Those that, you know, had the great Elijah work miracles in their midst. They must have sat back on their laurels and said, hey, we're good. God said, no, repent. Proverbs 14, 34. Simple verse. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Even though God's main concern right now is not nation building. He still honors nations that honor Him, and He'll judge nations that dishonor Him. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if the nation is Israel. If they're not righteous, they'll get set aside. It doesn't matter how special we think we are, America. We got to do right by God. And I know I'm saying that as we head into July 4th weekend and the flags are waved. I'm going to wear red, white, and blue. I'm going to say, God bless America. But you know what? I think some of our leaders of America are making God sick. And if you think you're going to keep thumbing God's eye and think that you're exempt because you're rich, which we're really not, but you're rich, you're smoking crack. 
or I had too many ice cream cones, if you catch my drift, all right? Because righteousness exalts a nation. And our nation is the leading nation that's propagating the insanity that's permeating schools and workplaces today. It's our nation. Third world countries think we're nuts. When I went to Haiti, they said, we don't accept that sexual perversion like you guys do in America. And we celebrate it. We give it a month. We had some freak of nature say, oh, it's not just going to be a month. We're going to make it a whole pride year. And we think God's just... (sighs) They got the Federal Reserve. They could just print money, right? That's what we think. In the audacity, you should read uh, Abraham Lincoln's Prayer of Repentance and during, right around the Civil War. He talks about the audaciousness of, we thought we were so audacious that we thought because we were prosperous and we could build great tanks that God would somehow honor us and be impressed by us when we're sitting there and our leaders are just sinning with impunity. Not you guys, I know you're the best people out there. But God judged Israel because of her leaders. Common people heard Jesus Christ gladly, but the leaders didn't accept him. And you know what? Even though there might be many a Christian in the great states of America, you know what? God's looking to the leaders, and what are you leaders doing? How are you leaders treating our words? And if we get a soapbox outside of of Washington, D.C., we should preach the same message if all those suits were walking by. Tell them to repent, America. Repent, America. Repent, America. Do right by God. 2 Corinthians 3, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You're not free because of your might. You're not free because of your prosperity. You're not free because you've got a lot of bullets and harp technologies and all this other stuff that people aren't supposed to know about, right? You were free because way back when you had some people that tried to honor that book as best they could, and God blessed you because of it. The parallels between America and Israel are frightening. And America and and Israel and England are frightening. England is basically a third world power now. Where there was a time when the, the, the sun never set on the British crown. Their kingdom was so vast. You know what they did? They threw this book overboard. And when they threw this book overboard, God said, now they're overrun. Now they ban guns. They got people killing each other with knives in their streets. And we're right behind them. You want to look across the pond at Europe, see the mess they're in? That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. Now, you could do a great ministry and God will use you, praise God. But as long as the nations keeps that course going, that's where we're headed. Hey, I'll finish with this. I'm getting myself in so much trouble, but I'm just going to finish with this. Let's just be empirical, shall we? Can, can we just be logical? Can we just, I only believe what I can see, right? That's what people tell me. Are we more or less free than we were a few hundred years ago? Right? Even 50 years ago. Are we more or less prosperous since we've tasted apostasy? Right? I mean, when there were more Bible churches and there were the Billy Sundays in the world and the Sam Joneses in the world and the Lester Roloffs in the world and the Mel Sabakas in the world and these guys that would blow their pulpits up and have people quaking and have even politicians maybe given a little bit of an ear to, 
Was an America in a better state? Safer, more prosperous, freer? Now we quake about camel jockeys that don't have enough gas to give their people. Now we, you know, we watch inflation run wise and we take our money and put it into a bag with holes, Haggai says. Haggai, great message, has consider your ways, Haggai says. Right? Let's just be empirical. See, what changed? Our attitude towards God changed. Not maybe your attitude, but our national attitude. Now we fly certain flags above the American flag. And we pander and we cater to a group of people that is God is judged. And that group of people shows up at the end of most dispensations, my brethren. Their houses joined hard to the synagogue. Now, I'm not hating. I'm just being empirical. I'm just observing nature and observing Bible. And if America wants the blessings of God, she needs righteousness. So repent, America. Repent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank